Hello and welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is You Did This To Us. Hello everybody, I'm Brett Stewart. Joining me on this fine evening, Nicole Davis, how are you? A little congested, so I apologize in advance for my vocal quality. Hooray! You all get to listen to exactly how swollen my mucous membranes are. It's that time of year. It's that time of year. At least you got your flu shot. David Luzader, how are you? I am still, as of this recording, in America's Next Top Podcaster at some point by the skin of my teeth and slowly just forgetting what sleep is. Oh, well, congratulations. Be sure to watch that or listen, everybody. America's um, Next Top Podcaster run by Brian Ibbett and crew. David is on it, and it's really rad. This show, however, Movie Go Round, I feel like we could call this the surprise edition of Movie Ghoul Round being extended into November because we just happened to get a horror movie after five weeks of horror movies. And that's because this week was You Did This To Us, where the audience goes and they vote on a big poll on our website. And uh, you can go over there, moviegoround.com slash you did this to us, or sorry, mgrpodcast.com slash you did this to us. I should get my own URL correctly. And you can go there and you can vote. And there's going to be existing films that are carried over from previous polls that have done particularly well, but they may not have won. And you're going to have an option to add your own movie. And we, we, we send that out all across social media. And then you have the opportunity to go over there and vote. And whatever you vote highest is what we watch. So before I announce this week's movie and give a brief synopsis of it, Nicole, we are restarting the cycle for Movie Go Round next week with a new to two. That means neither myself nor David have seen the movie before because you're picking it. Uh, what are we watching? All right, we are watching a movie that I am betting my all that, uh, Brett, you are going to absolutely love, or I've sworn I will eat this pop filter that is in front of my face right now. Um, <laughs> it is 1991's The Commitments. You're going to hear some folly work here while I type this in. <laughs> it's an oh, Irish movie. Oh, yeah, I'm going to like this. You will put the subtitles on because the accents are thick and fast in this film. Oh, my gosh. I love everything about what I'm reading about. Okay, I'm in on this. This sounds great. All right. Well, the commitments next week. Be sure to follow along, everybody, if you'd like to go ahead and watch with us. This week, though, it's You Did This To Us. We watched 2009's Jennifer's Body. Practical, nerdy, Anita, needy, Lesnicki, and vain, arrogant cheerleader Jennifer Check are best friends, though they share little in common. They share even less in common when Jennifer mysteriously gains an appetite for human blood after a disastrous fire at a local bar. As Needy's male classmates are steadily killed in gruesome attacks, she must uncover the truth behind her friend's transformation and find a way to stop the bloodthirsty rampage before it reaches her own boyfriend, Young Neil Chip. His name is Chip, not Young Neil. Uh, I'm going to do that a lot this episode. It's Young Neil from Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Guys, had you seen this movie before? No. And I will say right now at the beginning of this, this was exactly what I imagined this film to be. Nothing more, (laughs) nothing less. Nicole? Uh, I had not seen this movie before. It was uh, slightly... It was definitely more, 
it uh, more better. It was definitely better <laughs> than I feared it would be. Oh no, um, this movie made I'll... you lose brain cells. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's the Benadryl. Um, so yeah, it, but mm. it is has the trademark overwrittenness of Diablo Cody's early works. Um, so, which I'm sure we will get into. Absolutely. Diablo Cody, um, the woman who wrote this movie, who also wrote, you know, films such as Juno. And uh, I'd seen this movie before (laughs) many, many, many times. So this movie... have questions about that, Brett. Oh. Yeah, so let me let me break down my history with Jennifer's body, or as I will affectionately no. call it, J-Bo. No, um, no. <laughs> uh, Maybe I won't. Okay. So, this came out in 2009, and, uh, you know, that's shortly afterward. I was, I was in high school, and this movie was the memeiest of movies for us when we were in high school. We, we got all our friends together. We'd watch it like three times a month because we knew all the ridiculous lines. It has the most quotable, idiotic script. Uh, it, it plays so well into the ridiculousness of the stereotypes of teenagers in the early aughts, which we got being of that generation. And that was something we were surrounded by. And um, that combined with the fact that it was just absolutely absurd and a horror movie that we could watch Um on the regular, that that's what we watched. It was Jennifer's Body when I was in high school. So I knew this movie quite well. I don't know if it holds up as well. <laughs> I haven't seen this since high school. And uh, I, I'm kind of happy I haven't because... Yeah, I think that's an indication. It's not very good. <laughs> I think it should be an indication that like you eventually reached a point in your maturing that you were like, hey, you know what movie I don't need to watch uh, on a continuous loop? <laughs> Jennifer's Body. Yeah, uh, now, that- now granted, this was this was... Right in line with, you know, The Room and Con Air. I, I, we, we were those kids when I was in high school. But Jennifer's yeah. Body or Jabo was definitely... I, I own a copy of it somewhere. I know I got the, a copy for my birthday one year. The the emo music alone, man. If I have to hear that stupid Through song, stop it. I will stab you with a pair of scissors. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Look at specific in my implements. I... No, I cannot... Yeah, we're going to talk about the Through the Trees song and the indie pop in this movie a little bit later on. But I do want to start from the very beginning, which was that this movie was marketed as a sexy, gory, fun movie for men using, you know, Megan Fox as a sex symbol. It was written uh, by a woman, though, for women about the perils of being a high school girl and navigating female friendships with some female empowerment fantasy thrown in for good measure. Nicole noted this in our document, and I think... You totally nailed why this has become, I think it's a stretch to call it a cult classic, but it does have a cult, it does have a following, but didn't do particularly well at the box office, nor did the audience that it advertised for really understand it. Like, this is not just a movie for dudes. No, it's, it's particularly a movie for young women and intended for them to enjoy and the people you know the studio heads were just absolutely determined that they would make way more money if they just plugged how sexy megan fox was and shoved it at fraternity boys and other young men of that age group Um, i have no idea what you're talking about (laughs) i have absolutely no (laughs) idea what you're talking about and so it it people went in as often happens and why you end up with really horrible audience 
cinema scores is people went in expecting one thing, they got something entirely different, and they got mad. And they said it was a horrible movie because of it, which I don't think is true. I don't think this movie is as good as it wants to be, but I also don't think it's a bad movie. I think it's a fun movie. No, this movie definitely has moments where it thinks it is being so clever. Um, I think part of that is uh, what you mentioned earlier, Diablo Cody's early writing style. Uh, some of some of like what they're saying to one another, like you feel like this movie thinks it is being so hip and cool. Uh, and it's not. <laughs> and that's that's um, it's cringy a little bit at times in some of its dialogue. It's cringy in almost all of its dialogue, I would argue. Yeah, I, it's I would such bad that. dialogue. I don't know that I would agree with that. I mean, it's got some really good, it's got some good bits in it. Like, you know, no, not high school evil. She's actually evil. You know, that is a great line. When, when Amanda Seyfried comes to her boyfriend, young Neil chip and uh, says, I think Jennifer's evil. And he's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, no, I, I mean, looking at quotes right now, you know what? You were never a really good friend. Even when you were little, you used to steal my toys and pour lemonade on my head. And now I'm eating your boyfriend. See, at least I'm consistent. <laughs> That's a pretty good line. I'll give him that. Though I think if you stumbled upon someone eating your boyfriend, you wouldn't be like, you were a bad friend when we were kids. <laughs> it might be like, hey, stop eating that person. Right. Um, though I do think some of the best lines well, in the movie come from Chip. That come from the guy I keep referring to as Young Neil. Uh, I love when his mother gives him pepper spray to go out to the high school dance because there's been all the killings in the area. He's like, Mom, I can take care of myself. I've been using the Bowflex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that and him going, am I too big for you? Oh, <laughs> oh God. I want to <laughs> that was so great. The their their first time having sex, and he gets an unintended boost of confidence. Like, <laughs> yes, there were moments of of chuckles in this movie. I'll give it that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But it does have that underlying current where it's intended. I think very much to to be that female empowerment fantasy. Nicole mentioned in our docket, and that's how it's been looked at years gone on where in recent years multiple publications and multiple fan groups online have kept continually referring this to as a movie for the me too movement and i find that very interesting yeah and i think i put in our docket this is a movie for the me too movement question mark <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's, I mean, it's empowering in the sense that she i mean but here's my problem with it in order for it to be a movie about the me too movement wouldn't wouldn't jennifer what? have to get even with the guys that did this to her that she really would be doesn't. ideal <laughs> because yeah. that's that, that's my one big quip with this movie and i saw nicole put it in here too is it would be better if she were getting revenge on the band members um this band sacrifices jennifer in an attempt to become rich and famous it backfires because she's not really the virgin she thinks they are so the, in reality satan's demon just inhabits her instead and uh and she never goes after them she just starts killing random innocent dudes yeah, yeah and not just 
vaguely innocent dudes, but like the most innocent dudes in right. high school, like the people who have been nothing but nice to her or are, you know, like the big jock who's, you know, weeping and reeling from the loss of his friends in this bar fire. And he's, you know, clearly very shaken and willing to show his emotions. And yet she decides to eat him, you know? Yeah. It's like, and- why not? on the jerks <laughs> that's why i'm surprised that this is being considered this movie for the me too movement because i guess if like what you're looking for is just violence against men yeah this movie's got that violence against men going for it but as like as nicole said like none of the guys that are getting eaten or killed in here have at least as far as we saw on screen done anything to really deserve getting, you know, eaten or attacked. They are just victims. She is able to lure into her trap. So, uh, right. yeah, I mean, it's the poor hapless, you know, Indian exchange student. She yeah. gets the sensitive job. She gets the, the sweet the emo goth. kid. And she, <laughs> And then she goes after Chip, who's like actually a pretty decent boyfriend. I mean, he's decent until like, except for that one part when he gets a phone call from his girlfriend who was like, I was just in a bar fire. And he's like, oh, that sucks. Well, see you later. (laughs) Right. But at the same time, he also kind of checks her on it a little bit because she's too focused on her friend. And he's like, come on, needy. A bunch of people just died. Well, they have, oh, I, I don't have it in front of me anymore, but like the, they had their conversation at school that was just so lo- like laissez-faire about the whole thing of like, <laughs> mm, man, sucks about the fire, right? Which like I get that's kind of like what teenagers would do, but she was there. No, but I mean, that's more Jennifer than, her, than me. Yes. Yeah, I agree. So I'd like to read a couple very, very brief uh, tidbits from critics that now argue both from Vox and Vice that this would, quote, kill if it came out today, um, because it is a is a it's a rape revenge fantasy in disguise, a scathingly sharp, smart look at abuse, empowerment and accountability uh, that anticipated the Me Too era and one that was torpedoed in 2009 by knee jerk misogyny toward Cody and Fox. Um, maybe that that's I don't. I think that's a little okay, a little much. That, but then it's it also, a little bit oversimplification. But it is, it, it is. And but then it also reads here that uh, let me scroll down here. In a post Me Too world, the implications of the storyline look un- uncomfortably familiar. It's a story of a group of powerful men sacrificing a girl's body on the altar of their own professional advancement. It's also a story of them using her torment as a bonding activity. So, like, I think there are. Elements yeah. of that here, right? Like they yes. literally sing eight six seven five three zero nine Jenny while they're killing her. This is a bonding activity. Yes. All of that is is horrifying. Yes, but then the band like might as well disappear. The band might as well never show up again. I don't quite get why they come back if she's not going to go after them. I and I get yeah. like it's because there's it's to show they're famous. You know, you can mention them again to show like how famous they've gotten because of their sacrifice. But I don't know. Like, if she going after them, maybe the things that they're saying is true, but the band becomes essentially irrelevant until the credit sequence, which, again, has nothing to do with Jennifer. Yeah, I mean, 
the, with the, with the band, we see them a ton, right? So they keep coming back over and over in the sense that we just hear through the trees, the song in the movie. And, uh, which, by the way, was designed to sound like a like a Snow Patrol song, which I think is pretty much a perfect description of how it sounds. And uh, they don't ever show up again. And I don't, I just don't understand why Jennifer wouldn't go after them. Maybe it's just because Jennifer is so like this movie does paint Jennifer as the dumb one and Needy as the intelligent one. And you know, spoiler: the first thing Needy wants to do when she's got some powers is go after the band. So like. Why, why didn't Jennifer? Jennifer just wanted to kill the local goth guy, and it was very sad. So, well, I don't know. I mean, if you wanted to to stretch it, <laughs> which clearly the 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 Vox piece, which I also read, which was calling this, you know, the movie for the Me Too era, and uh, that it could be that Jennifer is just. You know, she's written as a very shallow character. You don't get a right. lot of character depth from her. She's just vain and fun-loving and likes hanging out with her friend because she gets to feel superior to her all the time and have someone to contrast herself against constantly. Um, but it's also a normal response to trauma you know, and when we get the flashback, it is it's incredibly traumatic. It was a it was a very difficult scene to watch. You know, um it's like yes, she doesn't get sexually assaulted, but it's it's all framed and shot mm-hmm. very much as if that's what's going on. And you know, after a trauma like that, a lot some women will simply they don't want to deal with it at all. And they block it out as best they can. And clearly, you know, Jennifer having become a succubus has to deal with the physical (laughs) changes that are going on with her, but she might want nothing to do with the band at all and want to just not even to think about them as little as possible. That's a good point. She might also draw empowerment from it in the sense that like, there's points in this movie where Jennifer literally says, I am a God. Right? Like, now mm-hmm. she is this higher being, and it's... Just, She's feeling herself. <laughs> she is definitely... Not that she wasn't before. Um, well, yeah. But- right. Because what happens, and I feel like we kind of glossed over it for listeners who haven't seen the movie, is Needy, which, by the way, you had to call her Needy. This had to be her nickname. Um, Needy and, and Jennifer go to a uh, bar to go see this band play, and the bar burns down. Now, does the band start the bar on fire? I can't remember. Uh, I, I, I don't not think sure. so. Okay, so it actually is a genuine accent, a- accident then that the band then takes advantage of to get their you know, virgin to go sacrifice, which is Jennifer. Um, so we hear this band a lot, and I want to talk a little bit about them. Uh, Nicole Bonardock. Low this, Shoulder. Low Shoulder. This movie low is also about the horrors shoulder. of indie pop songs. Um, and I, I read a great article in Billboard about this movie that made me think about how this music in this movie such is such a perfect encapsulation of what early aughts music was for millennials because it was the era of pushing aside the 
almost like the anti-corporate mentality of the 90s, which was the Kurt Cobain and the Pearl Jam and the like, like, you know, don't be a quote unquote sellout. And then in the early 2000s, becoming a sellout became cool. You had Avril Lavigne and the Backstreet Boys and you had, you know, NSYNC and Fallout Boy, you know. Whoa, doing- whoa, 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 whoa. The Backstreet Boys and NSYNC were never indie bands. No, but what I'm saying is, is, it, is it became in vogue to be popular enough that you could sell stadium tours out. You no longer cared whether or not you were selling out to the man. And the era of, you know, Fallout Boy is very different than the era of Nirvana. Um, and this is totally sure. the era of Fallout Boy, so much to the point that they wanted Pete Wentz, the lead singer of Fallout Boy, to play the character of the, of the main uh, singer of the band. And then they decided that it would just pull from the movie and they couldn't coordinate with the touring schedule of fallout boy anyway and uh i thought that was well, interesting Jennifer Aniti who actually has fallout boy posters in her room yeah one of them does they have a bunch of that stuff um and it, it was it was interesting for me to watch this because gr- i grew up around people who loved this music like it was never my thing but the whole pop punk thing is is a scene for people my age that grew up listening to music exactly like this this song, Into the Trees or Through the Trees or whatever it is. And you hear it so it's, much. It sounds like pretty much every opening song to a teen-focused TV show <laughs> drama in like the late 90s, early aughts. It does. It totally does. And why couldn't they have just made like one more song? Uh, though I guess I would defeat the point of this the, this song literally becoming an anthem for the town. Now, one person that's very excited about it becoming an anthem for the town is J.K. Simmons, because um, I want to <laughs> I want to side I want to segue us into the random people that show up in this movie. Okay, yes, I'm I'm glad we're talking about this because I have a lot to say about this. This movie, this movie came out in 2009, and you know you have people. Megan Fox, Amanda Seyfried, their star was at the right place to be in this movie. You know, Adam (laughs) Brody makes sense. Chris Pratt showed up in his one scene. I get that. That's where he was at. J.K. Simmons and Amy Sedaris are in this movie? (laughs) J.K. Simmons is in a lot of this movie in a terrible wig with a hook hand. (laughs) What? (laughs) What? Well, he was in Juno also yes but he's 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 playing a dad in juno he's great in juno he's playing this really grounded down-to-earth character here he's playing a cartoon (laughs) so like it kind of fits with the world of the movie i guess but it's he's got the sensitive guy curly hair uh, and the hook I don't hand. know why the hook hand, <laughs> the hook hand is so weird. It's very uh, weird. It's a very weird choice. I'm not sure what what Cody's trying to say with that, or if she wrote that into the script. Or J.K. Um, Simmons like just showed up that way, and they're like, "Sure, why not?" Or, or Karen Kasama was like, "Here, wear this," you know, <laughs> or what have you. Yeah, it's, it's incredibly I mean, bizarre. It's a very odd choice. I mean, at least it's it's not focused on very much. It's never the butt of any jokes, except for the one where he like hands somebody a tissue with the mm-hmm. hook, <laughs> right? It's just in his there. hand, which is the first it's moment you there. see it. Yeah, which yeah. So I can't decide if that's like progressive or ableist. I kind of go back and forth on it. <laughs> <laughs> 
know. It's it's like I, I'm you know J.K. Simmons on screen in any movie. I'm riveted. You got my attention. In this movie, yeah. I'm just confused. But it was keeping it was keeping me in it. I will say that at certain times it was <laughs> it was keeping me there. And he's also yeah, the science teacher. He's the science yeah. teacher. And granted, if J.K. Simmons is on set, I imagine you want to use him as much as possible. But the science teacher is involved in seemingly every aspect of this community slash school because <laughs> not only is he giving them the community announcements in his science class of what is happening in regard to uh, how they're responding to this trage- tragedy at the at the bar, but he's also hosting the, the spring fling dance yeah. and uh introduces low shoulder as the the surprise guests there's just the, a lot of unnecessary jk simmons that's kind of great yeah the, the budget for this movie could not account for two teachers they could only <laughs> have the one uh, they spent the rest of it on his costume i do love the hair yeah though. one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when jennifer is tearing apart the poor you know jock in the woods and you hear him screaming in the distance and jk simmons just you know looks out into the distance and says let it out son just let it all out like he has good moments uh and this movie has some of those which is why i i think i was fond of it at the time so jk simmons yeah yeah (laughs) so this is another example in this movie of movie plain quote-unquote women contrasted with quote movie beautiful women which is which is crazy first of all that this is a universe that amanda seyfried is the plain one as david put in slack earlier this week it yeah i don't know what world we would possibly be in where she is considered the the plain looking friend like megan fox is attractive but give me Amanda Seyfried any day of the week. She is gorgeous. But but David, she's got glasses. You're right. My bad. She has a ponytail <laughs> and wears wears knit hats. Yeah. You're right. So clearly she can't be beautiful because she has glasses on and a knit hat and pulls her hair back off her forehead. And, and no one at any point takes those glasses off and reveals how hot she was the whole time. <laughs> That's right. I will say her prom. Her prom outfit yeah. or her spring fling outfit definitely was oh, a little God, bit of dress. struggle bus. Oh, what do you even call a dress like that, Nicole? Like, what is it even? It's like poofy. It's like, yeah, it's poofy. It's this. It's this taffeta polyester Oof. hot pink nightmare that she's got on with one giant poof <laughs> on one shoulder, um, and her mom curling her hair into. Yeah. it's like smoking in the curling iron <laughs> so yeah. yeah it's i mean i i think that might have been a little overdone i mean that hair was pretty 80s more mm-hmm. than 90s or 2000s but i think by then the parted down the middle as straight as you can get it had started to take hold mm-hmm. so uh- to, to go back to the fact that Amy Sedaris is in this movie, way to also criminally underuse Amy Sedaris. Yeah, she's in like two scenes. Yeah, yeah and like not barely talking in either of them. Yeah, she's in there as Needy's mom. So, oh, and by the way, I found out she's called Needy because like in the f- one of the in the earlier drafts of the script, she was a much needier character mm. who is kind of sucking energy off of 
Jennifer and, and needing her to help guide her life. So like she, uh, she did do whatever Jennifer told her to, and not just, you know, when she wanted to, to do what Jennifer asked, like she does in this go round and they uh, kept it cause it's cute sounding, you know? Yeah. <laughs> also forgot to mention Lance Henriksen showing up at the end of this movie. That's the dirty old man. Yeah. Who helped her go to murder that band. Yes, because let's talk a little bit about how this movie starts wrapping up, because it's not a particularly long or complicated movie. Um, Maybe perhaps why it was so well served by multiple viewings when I was 14. But in any case... don't try to pretend. <laughs> Look, we know there's a reason. Anybody who's watched ha! this movie knows there's a reason 14-year-olds were watching this movie on repeat. <laughs> uh, so basically, Jennifer and Needy duke it out, and young Neil dies, which is sad. I will give the movie that, that it is it is gutsy enough to kill one of the protagonists in what is perhaps the most absurd death conversation deathbed conversation i've ever seen it's a pretty bad death conversation but they kill him which i think is props to them i didn't i never thought they would do that the first time i saw this movie and then jay bo dies as well and amanda seyfried is left holding the knife over her uh and is sent to the loony bin so and it's revealed that she absorbed some of jennifer's powers so how did you guys yeah, feel which, about that as the first as your first time seeing this because it gives it away at the beginning of the movie kind of so jennifer jennifer is possessed or jennifer is a demon well the movie says that she, there's she's a demon or like possessed okay. by yeah. a demon I don't or given demonic powers and becomes demonic herself whatever it is she she has this compulsion to feed and to feed on young males more than anything else yeah so yeah i just don't get the whole like transference of power i guess well the movie says that if you get bitten by a demon don't die then you get some of its powers but so she gets all the good and none of the bad basically because it doesn't seem like she has to eat people that's something that that Diablo Cody made up. If you if you listen yeah. carefully, there's a line about how, you know, something that a lot of folklorists don't know is that if you get bitten by a demon and you don't <laughs> die, you might absorb some of their powers. You know, as I've said yeah. so many times on this show, sure. Sure, that's fine. Maybe, yeah, sure. <laughs> that's yeah. fine. Uh-huh. I think it's primarily to give her the power to break out of the asylum and go get revenge. Yeah. It's purely a plot device to do that. Right. (laughs) But it does kind of give it away at the beginning of the movie. I've never liked that about this movie that right from the get go, you know, that needy's going to end up locked up. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I mean, some people like to do that because they think they'll engage you with, oh, I'm super curious now. How does she end up there? And so you stay attentive to the movie because, you know, studio heads have zero faith in the in the ability of young generations to pay attention. But, you know, I don't like that either. Like, I didn't like it in Don't Breathe. I don't like mm. these 
you know, starting in the present and then flashing back to however long ago to catch yeah. up to you. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of that. It's like, who are you telling the story to? I guess us. But it's just like, why, why, why do that? I don't know. I, I don't, I don't feel like the narration added anything super strong to the movie. It does give no, Amanda Seyfried the opportunity to have some of her most ridiculous lines, though. Like yeah. she embodies <laughs> full, like bitchy high school girl when she's narrating about how she's beating up orderlies. Yeah, God, that poor, that poor woman who comes up to her gets kicked right in the face. <laughs> yeah, seriously. She's a kicker. That's what they put on her docket. She's a kicker. Uh, but Nicole, you were saying something earlier. <laughs> oh, I forget. <laughs> this movie. I'm sure I'll circle back to it. So let's talk about lesbians then. This movie is a thing in some lesbian circles, uh, apparently. It is. It is. No, I can see it being a thing in like, it's, I mean, there's kind of like a, there's like a bisexual part of it in the sense, I mean, I guess, I mean, there's the really heavy handed, like I go both ways comment when she's just killing indiscriminately. But other, other than that, I'm not sure. Well, Well, I mean, this, sorry, go ahead, David. No, you go ahead. I mean, number one, you know, the, Looking looking back on it now, it seems pretty obvious. There's a ton of gay coding in mm-hmm. this movie. You know, C-O-D-I-N-G. I don't know if you can tell which one I'm saying with how stuffed up I've gotten. Um, but <laughs> it's not it's not coded it, in gay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> our gay shell around the outside. Right. I was watching. <laughs> I was watching this video on YouTube, um, which is apparently a series called Drunk Lesbians Watch. And it's this woman and her, you know, a couple of her lesbian friends watch a movie together and they show, you know, have like clips of them reacting to certain parts of the movie. And there was one, there were three of them watching this movie. And for one of them, it was the first time. The other two were like, this played a very important part in my development as a lesbian. Um, And as the third one's watching, she's like, as things are going along and it's showing the friendship between Jennifer and Needy and how close it is and like how physically demonstrative Jennifer is and how they relate to one another. You know, the one who hadn't seen it before keeps turning to the other two and going, is this a gay movie? This is a gay <laughs> movie, isn't it? Is there a gay sex scene in it? <laughs> and there's this, there's the one lesbian kissing scene in the movie and this this was apparently a a turning point in many young lesbian lives was that scene in this movie which like i said does not surprise me i found it to be genuinely sexy oh yeah as a 30 year old man i like i changed watching that scene you know yeah i mean it's not just male gaze sexy it's also female gaze sexy there definitely is an attraction between them throughout the movie. Uh, they kind of emphasize it more at the beginning and then obviously in that scene. Um, right. But there's there's definitely something between... I, I could see how for people who um, are maybe still coming to understand those feelings inside themselves um, would would catch on to that so much more and maybe identify with it. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I could definitely see that. Uh, man, this this movie. 
I'd love to know who put it on our list. That's what I would really love to know. Um, and I kind of want to go through just a little pieces of interesting trivia I learned when I was doing a little bit of research on this movie. Um, first of all, by by Oscar standards, Megan Fox should really win one. For, should have won one. She lost a ton of weight, and she brought her weight down to 97 pounds and wouldn't go Good outside. God. And she wouldn't go outside oh. because she wanted to be really, really pale. So uh, she she really got into the role of Jennifer, uh, so much so that apparently she was not the first pick as well. She was going to actually be played by Blake Lively. So that would have been a different movie. But that would have been a very different movie. Yeah, it would have been. So did you guys enjoy seeing this? <laughs> like, was this Ooh. fun? Because I feel like my childhood was like, I feel like I, childhood is actually the wrong word. Young adult adolescence uh, was revisited this last week, and it didn't hold up quite as well as I remember. I, I, I you know, like I said, it was exactly what I expected. Nothing more, nothing less. So it didn't, all it does, it did in my mind now is just inform the opinion I already had about it. <laughs> and uh, it, it, my life would have been the same not seeing it. That is a ringing endorsement. Uh, Nicole, as as we leave this movie, do you have any kind of final <laughs> thoughts on on what you liked and didn't like about, about J-Bo? I mean, I, I didn't like how, like I said, kind of overwritten it is in places or, you know, the idiosyncratic language that's used. Um, but I did like how female centric this movie is. I like that, um, you know, in the, that during the assault scene that there's never a sexual assault for one. And that's actually kind of a condition of the ritual that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked that there's no nudity in this movie. You never see anybody's boobs. It's, imp- you know, it's implied that Jennifer's naked in one swimming scene, but you never actually see anything. Uh, so naked swimming in a, uh, in a lake. I just, uh, just so much bacteria and just no, <laughs> just, just no, but sorry, continue. um and i actually i really like the sex scene between needy and chip you know Mm -hmm. it's it's definitely it seems to be needy's first time it definitely seems to be chip's first time and it's all about her agency you know this is it's all about needy's choices that she's with him, he's very conscious about her pleasure. She watches him put the condom on because this is, you know, this is a joint operation, apparently. <laughs> and she, you know, it, it's all very much both parties choosing to do this together. And it's a, an expression of love and caring for each other. And it's very sweet, you know, and it's... I would love to see that kind of sex scene in movies a lot more. Do you think that Diablo Cody just has a good hand for that with things like Juno and and tapping into, you know, something that feels more genuine? 
I think so. I think it, she, she's definitely very good at tapping into, um, positive female sexuality and not just sexuality that's there to be on display, but like, as it is really present, you know, inside a woman, you know, it's, it's not just what it looks like or what looks sexiest on the outside or behavior that's considered sexy by society. It's like this genuine, you know, vulnerability and openness and choice that's kind of very powerful in and of itself. You know, never mind having demonic powers to like hover and bite people to death. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so I also do want to note that there is an, an unrated cut of this movie, which I have and I've seen. And I went and I looked up the difference. 14, 14 year old Brett was never more disappointed in this. <laughs> so that's, that might be true because there, there really are absolutely no differences. Uh, it's largely, there's a, tiny bit more gore in the unrated version and the actual just overall shots are different like there's alternate shots in the in the unrated version like they just decided to recut the movie not and just slap unrated on it which actually leads me to my next point which is i'm not sure i understand why this is an r movie and i don't think i ever knew it was at that age i actually assumed this was pg-13 rated r i I guess maybe i guess so eviscerated corpses of her victims you know that's it's pretty graphic in places yeah i guess i suppose so and she also does like the jaw unhinged turns into a demon thing we didn't really talk about that oh that was also very trendy in the early aughts oh yeah oh yeah so i don't know if you need to go see the extended uncut version uh if you really care or unrated version if you really care about this movie but this was what you guys did to us and that's why we stuck around and watched it and thanks for that my childhood or early adolescence probably could have stayed the way it was thinking this movie was great so oh well uh nicole though remind us again what we're watching next week we'll be watching the movie the commitments the commitments about be the sure. hardest working banded show business. Ooh, I'm excited. All righty. Well, let's go around the table and see where we can find everybody online. David, where can people find you? You can find me around the internet under the username Davluz. That is D A V L U Z. So Twitter and Instagram. You can find me there. I'm also on the Brokebot Mountain podcast. And by the time this comes out, uh, it will possibly be over, or I will have been kicked off America's Next Top Podcast. Or either way, tune in to hear how I did. Yes, absolutely. And what about you, Nicole? I take care of our Facebook page at facebook.com slash moviegroundpodcast. And I have a letterboxed account under Nicole underscore Davis. Very good. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart. You can find all of these links and more at social.mgrpodcast.com. Finally, we would love to hear from you if you have thoughts on J-Bo. If you want me to stop saying J-Bo, then email yes, hi please. at mgrpodcast.com. Again, that's hi at mgrpodcast.com. We would love to hear from you and we will read it on the show. But we'll see you next week with uh, Nuda 2 and The Commitments. Mm-hmm.